All right, welcome back to Ducks and Pucks. This is your host, Mike Walters, along with my co-host, Eddie Jones. And today we have a special guest, uh, Danny, who was an editor for me uh, when I first started and helped me out. And she's on here. We're going to talk about the uh, Norfolk Admirals, look at the Ducks kind of uh, from an AHL perspective. And we'll also shift gears and talk a little bit about the Rangers as well, because that's uh, Danny's team. Uh, first off, Danny, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Um, so, Danny, you live closer to the Norfolk Admirals in Virginia, and we just kind of want to get your perspective on Norfolk and what it's like going to the games, since, you know, most of us over here in Anaheim have no idea what it's like um, out there uh, at the AHL games. Yeah, um, it's so first to kind of give people a perspective where Norfolk is situated. It's in what's called the seven cities. Um, it's a, seven cities that are very much interlinked. Uh, Population-wise, it's a big population area for this this part of the country, but compared to what you guys have out there, it's nothing. Um, and we're talking a couple, between two and three million people within the seven cities, which are, like I said, very closely linked around the Norfolk Admirals. Um, and to kind of expand on that, it's a hockey has been in Norfolk for, man, I know... It's 25 years for the Admirals, but there was ECHL before, and then it was AHL, ECHL, and then back to AHL. So, and then there was the Hampton. There, there's been a whole bunch of different leagues that have run through. So hockey's been there, but location-wise, compared to NHL, you've got about 250 miles to go north before you get to where the Washington Capitals are, okay. and then. Con by contrast, going south, you've got anywhere from it's between 250 and 300 miles down to where the Carolina Hurricanes are. And they're over in Raleigh, North Carolina. The next closest AHL team is the Charlotte Checkers, which is Charlotte is the farm team for the Carolina Hurricanes. And Charlotte Checkers are all the way on the other end of North Carolina, right near the South Carolina border. So, I mean, it's it's very, very isolated in terms of hockey and what's around it. So when you want to talk about a non-traditional hockey market, I know a lot of people call California non-traditional, but at this point, it's really not anymore. You've got, I know, the LA Kings, which nobody likes, um, <laughs> right down the road from you guys in Anaheim, and then you've got San Jose up just a little bit farther. So you've got a little more hockey, closer range than what we have, and it's really isolated. But at the same time, one of the things the Admirals do is they're huge on community. Um, they, they're involved in everything. There's a children's hospital just like a couple blocks over from the arena, and the players go over there all the time, and they talk to the kids, and they're involved in different, different charities, different organizations. Um, multiple sclerosis is a big one, um, and I think it's... Kurtz, I think Jay Kurtz, I think he um, is real big with MS. Um, I know Jesse Blacker is real big with the American Cancer Society because he lost his mom when he was 16. Um, there's a couple other guys who dabble in different, different areas. Um, there's different rehabilitation centers and things in the area where there's a lot. I mean, you could, and during the season, you could have two to three appearances a week with players at different things, whether they're going to a local business, like a pizza joint and they're signing autographs for two hours, right. or they set up um, an outdoor rink 
just across the street from the arena next to one of the big shopping malls. And the players will come over there a couple nights a week and just skate with kids. And they, they do, they have a skating with kids time there. And then after certain games, they do the same thing with kids, um, season ticket holders, kids, where they bring them down on the ice and you skate with a player. Um, in addition to actually playing the game and, and starting learn to skate programs and learn to play programs with U.S. hockey, um, they're, they just are so involved in the community. And it's also a very large military community. So at any point, you've got people coming and going, and the largest part of the population is the military, and they do a lot to bring the military in. They do um, special ticket nights, um, special events with the military. They Last year, they went on, they, they took the whole team on base, and they did a, a tour of the base, basically, with the team. And I know a lot of the guys on the team were just like, whoa, we never realized, you know, how much the military it's a huge part of the, I mean, that's what keeps the economy in the area going. Norfolk has the largest Navy base in the entire world. Hmm, so if, if that puts some perspective, I mean, it's, it's a big thing. So to fit into the community, they do an amazing job. Well, that, that's, they really do. that's good, you know, cause I mean, we see the Ducks players that go to like children's hospital out here. So it's good to see that extension, you know, going all the way through the minor leagues too. It, you know, it may be, I know a lot of the guys that come up from Norfolk, like Freddie Anderson, and, and they've come through the system, it starts here. Because before the Ducks, Norfolk was the farm team for Tampa Bay when they won their cup, their Stanley Cup, a few oh. years back. Oh, okay. Before Tampa Bay, we had Chicago Blackhawks here, back when Corey Crawford and Just, or Dustin Bufflin and those guys were all playing AHL hockey here. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, it's 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 a quiet. A lot of people don't talk about it, but we're like, oh yeah, we've had these guys. You know, we've had this guy play here. We've we've seen this guy, and it's it's real easy. After the games are over, you can go um, outside the arena down to the parking garage where the players exit, and they will stop and they will take pictures with any and everybody. I mean, it they just some of them. If it's a bad night, if they lost, they'll they'll go around they, and. That's to be expected sometimes, you know, when you're really, when it's a frustrating loss, you're not in the mood to take pictures. And the fans, I mean, we get it. We know. That's just how it is. So, but some of them, even in a loss, they'll come out and they'll just be like, yeah, it was a tough game or whatever. But they'll do the pictures anyway, because that's just, different people are different ways. So it's right. it's good. Well, that, that's good. I mean, you know, and that's uh, like the, I guess the, the more, most recent news for the Ducks was with um, Jaguar retiring. And that's something that a lot of us out here, and I know everywhere else too, admire uh, Tamu and Jaguar for because they're the same way. They, they, you can hang out at the Honda Center and they'll come out and sign after the game, and um, you know, at any event, they they don't turn people away. And I think that's something that there's something to be said for that, you know, Danny. Yeah, there is, and it's usually the younger guys in their first couple years that have the harder time coming out because they're just still trying to take it all in. And, and get their, their footing, their bearing, and find their place. Um, that's that's not always the way it is, but typically that's what you see. And as far as the um, the rink out there, what is it like, like the seating? And um, like how do you, when you go there, when you sit down, where do you like to go? And just, just the setup, how is it compared to um, NHL rinks? Well, the first thing that most people notice, and if, if anybody Googles Scope Arena in Norfolk, um, when you pull a picture of it up, it's a big 
dome, basically. Okay. Okay. It's round. Yeah. And when you go inside, it's set up like a bowl all the way around the ice. Um, there's not, I've not found a single place that's a bad seat. Uh, I mean, everybody has their preference of where they like to be. Right. I personally, I'm a center ice kind of girl. Um, I don't like to be down in the, the floor section. I don't like to be up too high, although it's not, there's really not a seat in this particular arena that's too high because it's, it's not massive like the, the NHL arenas. I mean, this right. the scope scope was built back in, I don't know, like the sixties or seventies, something like that. I mean, it was just the local, it was the local arena where the circus would come, the monster truck shows and, right. you know, whatever concerts were touring at the time. The seating, I think the max seating is under 15,000 or oh. right around there. So it's not, it's not too small. It's not too small, but it's not overly huge either. Right. So, and with the and here's here's a numbers matchup for you guys. The average crowd for an AHL hockey game for the Admiral or yeah for the Admirals it's it runs between right around forty five hundred people four thousand mm-hmm. five hundred. So I mean you're not talking huge like NHL crowds, right. but in in the AHL market we're like number two number three in in crowd space. I mean, like in, in ticket sales, the only team, like the team that's number one is Hershey, which mm-hmm. is the, the capitals farm team. Gotcha. Uh, but they do. So, I mean, it's, I don't know how they get so many fans there, but they're pulling like 8,000 fans a night on a school night. But I think ah. they do a lot of outreach with schools and things like that. Right. Not a hundred percent sure. Cause I've not been to the Hershey rink, mm-hmm. but I know when they come to play in Norfolk, they bring a lot of their fans with them, so we'll we'll see more like five six thousand fans. But the the last game of the regular season last year, when the Admirals clinched their playoff spot, I can tell you, I couldn't count more than a dozen empty seats in the building. That's it awesome. was packed. Oh, it was great. That's it was awesome. great. Yeah. Now speaking of arenas, um, you know I've been to a few other NHL arenas. I've been um, I've been to Staples, which. I don't want to get into that story because it was a bad experience, but, um, uh, and I wasn't wearing ducks, uh, attire, but uh, that's a story for another time. But I've been to other arenas. Like I've been to the Capitals arena. I actually, um, one semester in school, I stayed out there, uh, with some people that were, um, New York fans. So we saw the Rangers, we saw, uh, Buffalo and the Islanders. Um, have you been to other NHL arenas, uh, around there? I know you said the Rangers is not close, but, uh, you know, some of the rings uh, are close to you. I've been up to Washington to the Verizon Center. It's a pretty nice building. Yeah, um, I liked it. It's for me to kind of put it in perspective for your fans out there. For me, going to Washington to watch the Rangers play is like you guys going to LA to watch the Ducks play the Kings. Right. But I, I will you. go. I will go, and I will wear my Rangers jersey. Which <laughs> for sounds, the, sounds good. <laughs> for the old time hockey fans, my Rangers jersey it's it's got a starter logo on it. Oh, sweet. Like, yeah, so I mean that thing I've had it for over twenty years. So I get a lot of heckling and a lot of trash talk from some of the fans. There. <laughs> I'm uh, sure. I'm and sure. and it's just some of them I actually had one incident during a playoff game where this kid tried to kind of start a fight with me and 
he was just running his mouth, running his mouth. I was like, dude, did you just buy your Alex Ovechkin jersey today? <laughs> because it still has creases. Did you remember to take the tags off? And he's like ragging on my jersey so hard. Yeah. And I said, dude, I know more about your team than you do because <laughs> I can tell the only person on that team that you know anything about is Ovechkin. <laughs> right. And this was, well, they didn't make the playoffs last year, so it was the year before. And the kid just kept going on and on. And I reached up to do something and his dad saw the starter logo on my sleeve and he grabbed his kid and he said sit down he's like he goes what do you do that for dad he said you see that jersey she's gone that jersey's older than you that jersey's probably as old as she is sit down and he just looked at me and I, I just had a half smile and the guy sitting next to me like I literally I wanted to go to this playoff game so bad right. I had I had to buy two seats even though I only I wanted to go by myself so I have a friend who lives in New York who went to school in Maryland who had friends down there who were Cap fans. And I was like, hey, I have one extra ticket if someone, if you know someone who wants to buy it. I don't care if they don't want to talk to me during the game, whatever. <laughs> so I'm sitting in this little section of red jerseys, and I've got my white Rangers jersey on. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, it was – the usher was actually concerned for me. He's like, are you okay up there? I said, yep, I'm good. <laughs> And this Russian lady sitting next to me screaming for Ovi, and I'm just like, okay. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, the Verizon Center, it's really nice. Um, and it's funny how ticket prices depend on how well your team is doing because it's, it's very affordable to go to DC to see a game, not so much in other places. Yeah, it's accessible. I took the Metro when I was out there for the yeah. four games I went to, and I, I liked how it was accessible because, you know, public transportation in California, uh, does it exist? Well, you know, whatever. But, that, you know, out there it was nice. Yeah, and it's – D.C. is really good about the Metro. Um, and to be honest, I I live about two hours south of D.C. So when I go up, I just drive up to the Metro and I stop. I don't even drive into D.C. I stop outside and I just take the metro in. Stops right underneath the arena. And so, yeah, it's just so easy. And you can go and get food and do whatever. Oh, and the food inside Verizon Center. I know people. there's like this big thing online about grading um, different hockey arenas. Mm -hmm. The food at Verizon Center is so delicious. Did you notice that when you were there? Yeah, you know, you're right. It is better. That's that's what some of the fans have commented about the Honda Center, you know, saying that we need to upgrade the food where we're at. And I don't really have a defense to that because they're they're right on. I mean, I know we're getting Wahoos, so that's at least somewhat of an improvement. But, yeah, the food out there was definitely great when, when I went for, like I said, the three four times. I mean, you're getting there. There's one that was it Capital Burger has a stand inside there, and you're getting you're not getting an arena cheeseburger. Exactly. I mean, you're getting this you're getting this monster burger that you're holding with two hands that's just loaded with stuff, and you can actually see the meat patty because it's big. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I'm in heaven. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Eddie, have you been to uh, any of the other arenas uh, in the NHL? Yeah, uh, where you're well, other than the uh, the Honda Center recently, the the only one I've been to is the the ACC in Toronto. And uh, to to have to speak in testament to to one they're doing bad and fans not coming. Uh, when you go when you go to Toronto, they're they're packed every night, even though even though they they usually don't make the playoffs each year. So. Uh, but the fan-wise, they're, they're actually not pretty bad because most of the time when I go see like the Ducks come there once a year, so I, I'm I'm usually at that game. 
And uh, I'm one like one of maybe a hundred people there that are actually Ducks fans, and and the rest are Leafs fans, and they're they're actually pretty good about it. The, um, I have a jersey, a Toronto jersey here that says "Losers since '67" on the back, and I've, I've <laughs> worn that a couple times. And you, you don't really hear much from them. That they, they they don't really have any legs to stand on when it comes to heckling, because you know they know what kind of situation they're in. So you don't really hear much flack from them. Um, it doesn't help that the last two times I went there, the Ducks have lost, so I can't really say anything back. But um, <laughs> other than that, yeah, the Honda Center was uh, in. I went in February, and um, other than that, it's the ACC, and then the the arena we have uh, here at Budweiser Gardens for the London Knights, which uh, is is kind of sounds kind of similar to uh, the Norfolk Scope when you're talking about it. Uh, we only we only seat about like nine thousand people, but. The CHL actually does uh, really well up here for the teams it has. Uh, we we sell out most of the games, um, and we've had a couple. Uh, we've had some, you know, some uh, pretty good guys come through. Patrick Kane's come through, uh, Corey Perry's come through, Rick Nash, uh, John Tavares. So uh, we get we get a pretty good audience up here for for the uh, the smaller market games. But I think it's just the the difference between the the CHL and the AHL, uh, you know, where where the where they're actually located and, and how close they are to other big market hockey teams. Well, and, and being in Canada and being in the U.S., yeah. southern U.S. helps too. So the the one thing I like to heckle the Capitals fans is I'm like, hey, let's go out drinking later. Wait, you have no cups. That used to work for us too until a couple of years ago. So we can't, we, we can say that to the Sharks, but that's, Sharks that's fans, it. <laughs> I, I've never really been like, do, uh, when you're in a, like when you're in California, do the Sharks, are the Sharks fans as bad as Kings fans? I've never really heard any, any problems you, from no, Sharks you fans. Know. You don't really hear much from them, but the Kings fans are out actually, there. They, they are. are they? Actually, I've had, I've had a couple, you know, my wife surprised me uh, back when, um, we played San Jose. If you remember, I can't remember the, the exact year, but San Jose was the number one seed and we knocked them out. Um, and we, we lost in the second round, but we knocked them out in the first round. She bought some tickets right behind the Ducks goal. to surprised me. And I couldn't tell you how many Sharks fans had shown up to that game and were just, just talking trash. I mean, just drunk before the game, just talking trash, going nuts. And, um, I ended up getting uh, security involved, and nothing nothing happened. But there was just a group of like four rowdy guys. They must have been 21, 22, um, you know. And they just they just pop off. I was surprised. Usually, Kings fans they're pretty rowdy when they come to Honda Center, you know, and stuff happens. But um, and there's been obviously there's been incidents with them, especially this last playoff series. There were a lot of incidents too. But uh, uh, Shark fans, yeah, I've seen it where they're just running up and down the aisles just just acting a fool and it gets old especially because they haven't even won anything so it's it's, come on i'll say that that's kind of new because i have i've been to san jose i went to a game back when they were worst in the league Mm -hmm. Um, this was years ago when adam graves left the rangers and went there um i was visiting friends and my friend surprised me with tickets and i was just like Oh my God. Like I literally, my hands started shaking because I knew Adam Graves was there. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like that's, that's my, some girls freak out about, you know, the shoes or this handbag or whatever. I'm like, Oh my God, hockey tickets. And if that was actually my first NHL game, mm-hmm. gosh, that, that was back like Oh one Oh two. So that, I mean, long time ago. And when I went, they were playing the, um, the Red Wings and, even with the Sharks being worse in the league, uh, the Red Wings were, that was their heyday. They were 
right. winning cups left and right. right. And the Sharks actually beat the Red Wings. It was like four to one. And I didn't notice. I know the things that I noticed about being there, because I was trying to take it all in as my first NHL game, mm-hmm. but the fans were really cool. They didn't know a lot about hockey yet because it was still early in the, the franchise. Right. So they were all pretty cool. And I talked to a lot of them because I knew more about hockey than them. Um, but I guess now that they're getting accustomed to having hockey there, they're changing. Well, but the arena know, was nice. <laughs> well, you know, that my uncle said the same thing. I mean, he's like me. He has um, season tickets for the Ducks. And he actually went to San Jose when the Ducks played. And, and he and, and my aunt, they wore their jerseys. And they told me that they had no problem. And everybody was really, really nice at the San Jose arena. So I don't know if it's just the fans more in the southern part of California that go to the games or not. I haven't figured it out. But he he had zero problems when he went up there. And like I said, he was wearing, you know, duck colors. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just some something with us, um, you know, in this this area, just because people like to get rowdy. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it just depends. But yeah, they um, they they they've been rowdy, but uh, you know, it's it's been okay the last couple seasons. You know, that was back when they when like you were talking about too. You know, I think it was like two thousand eight or was it nine? I can't remember where they had a couple of years where you know they were like number one, number two in the West. Yeah. Oh, and they were on fire, and then they just they just would blow it out in the uh, playoffs. They're Uh-oh. still doing that. Yeah. yeah. Every every know, year it seems they come in at first or second and blow it out in the first round. But probably they usually go up it's too, just... and then they, uh, especially this year against uh, I think it was the Avs, they go up three nothing and they lose. Oh no, it was against the Kings, wasn't it? Yeah, sorry. The Kings. Yeah, yeah. That's what I say is the key. Yeah, I was just gonna say this year was the ultimate one. I I still can't believe they. We're up three zero and got knocked out. I think but... if it's the Sharks oh, are the like only the, team. Oh, that's like the Leafs and the Bruins. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was right. at I was at outside the ACC <laughs> for that game seven too. When it was, it, it, they were actually surprisingly they took it surprisingly well. I thought it was going to be like a, a Vancouver uh, thing where they would ride after, right. but it was they everybody just kind of faded out of <laughs> outside of the ACC and kind of just walked away all sad. But, like, you knew it when, when Boston scored two and it was they were one goal down. You know, like, if they score here and even if they take it overtime, it's pretty much done. Because you see, like, uh, I, I grew up watching Leafs games, even though I'm not a fan, but you, um, you've you seen it so many times with the Leafs where they'll take a lead into the third period no matter how big it is, and they somehow end up blowing the lead. <laughs> so, yeah, everybody kind of wasn't, exactly like 4-1 people thought it was over and then 4-2 you're like this could go downhill pretty quickly I've never I'm not a Leafs fan I have an ism with them because of Dion Phaneuf but I've never rooted for the Leafs so hard in my life to beat the Bruins (laughs) I was just like oh how do you no (laughs) because I dislike the Bruins I think everybody dislikes the Bruins (laughs) Like there's some there's some map that's going around. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. About oh, yeah. How who hates what team the most? It's like Bruins everywhere. <laughs> that that map is funny because I researched it and they had like the Winnipeg uh, Jets logo in Africa and I'm like, what the heck is this about? And and so I I researched it and whoever it was that put it out just said that they like just disliked the Winnipeg Jets. I'm like, okay, so you're gonna throw it on the continent Africa? I'm like, really, dude? <laughs> Well, I mean, they've got to keep their they've got to keep their findings, you know, true to to the because there was some kind of survey or something that they put out uh-huh. to collect the data. Right. And right. there was, 
I did some research on it too because I was like, Africa, really? They hate <laughs> Winnipeg that much? And I guess yeah. there's only a couple fans over there, and they disliked the Jets not because of hockey, but because of some bad experience they had in Winnipeg or something like that. Oh, so yeah, it wasn't even hockey related, but they still, you know, they answered the the questions like they took the survey, so they had to put the information out there to keep the numbers right. <laughs> That's that's interesting because I didn't hear anything like that. So that that's some good insight on that one. Um, you know, getting back to uh, Norfolk and the Ducks and everything, what do you think as far as like you know, because you have more insight uh, out there seeing these guys that we are seeing on the Ducks now, Smith, Pelly, Votnin, Lindholm, Raquel, Maroon. Um, what is your take as far as um, the Ducks next season and these guys, uh, their roles on the team? Um, well, right now there are two restricted free agents for Norfolk and then there are two unrestricted free agents which are kind of surprising to me um Devontae Smith-Pelly I know you guys are all waiting to see what they're going to do with him Um, last year was kind of Smith-Pelly has had an interesting run thus far um early in his trips early in his career in Norfolk um he got kind of a bad rap for having a bad attitude oh really Uh, yeah and he and I don't want this to come off sounding bad, so sure, hopefully sure. everybody listens to everything that I say here. Sure. Um, initially, he just did not want to be involved with fans. He didn't want to get involved in any of the community stuff. He just he put himself as an elite hockey player when he first arrived and acted like a lot of your NHL guys who think that everybody else is beneath them. Right. And he... I guess it got back to him. I think somebody finally set him down and said, look, you need to knock this off. Right. Yeah. You, you're going to set yourself up for some bad press and it's going to be bad when you try to make the jump. So last season, I guess the com the combination of being a contract season and, and his growth as a person, I mean, he's only what 22. Right. I mean, think People, you got to think, you know, when you're in that 18 to 21 range, you're in that wild, I can do what I want, freedom stage. So real, I think he realized and, and some things kind of came about. I know he and Emerson Edom are good friends. And right. I, I met Emerson Edom last year after a game. Nice guy. Such a nice guy. I think they finally kind of got together and it started to calm DSP down. Um, I don't know. I know here we call him DSP and we call him Devo. Oh yeah, um, it was the same here. <laughs> okay, so um, he he mellowed out a lot last year, and you could see him kind of change as a person and as a player, to where he started to be more sociable, which was really good to see for us down here. I mean, he he got involved in a, in a little more stuff. He was a lot more receptive to doing things, which was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Emerson Edom being up a lot, their friendship didn't, I didn't, there wasn't like a roadblock or anything like that, but they were roommates when they were living down here together. Um, so when Edom went up, John Gibson came in, Devontae Smith-Pelly and John Gibson are good friends now. They actually became roommates. Okay. So, so when Edom came back down, Gibson was living with DSP, so Edom had to get his own place. Um which he actually lives just down the street from the arena, whereas most of the rest of the team live in the next city over. Um, and they just, there's a, there's a thing that's similar to the Metro, It's but it's above ground. It's called the Tide, and it's just like an electric 
trolley system kind of thing, I guess you could say. Okay. So they, they can just ride that directly in from where the, the team houses their players. Um, so those two are roommates now, and, and you've seen kind of the evolution of Smith Pelly. And last year was kind of when he went up at the end of the season, that was his chance to show them, like, here's your preseason tryout, except for you got to make it work now because they're trying to figure out where he fits in. He's starting to outgrow the AHL, but he's not quite ready to make that NHL leap yet, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people felt like he fit he fit in really well. Um, he's getting there. He's in a very awkward it's, – it's like kids when they're growing and they hit that stage where they're – hit a growth spurt and they're kind of gangly and not coordinated for like a few months. Mm-hmm. That's kind of comparatively where Smith Pelly is in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and it stinks that it hit the way it did, but you can't do a lot about that. So I think that's where the contract is stuck. They're trying to figure out what is an acceptable length of time right. to keep him for one, because it, here I pulled. Hang on, I pulled it up. Um, his cap hit was eight hundred and seventy thousand dollars. Right. So, I know there's a certain because he's under a million. There's um, a qualifying offer that has to be met, and I'm looking at that right now as we talk. Um, so they're probably looking at that. He is going to want, and I can tell you if I remember correctly, Smith Pelly is represented by Matt Oates at O2K. Okay. If anybody knows anything about Matt Oates at O2K last year, um, he also represents Derek Stepan. So anybody okay. keeping up anybody keeping up with contracts and things like that, this is what you're dealing with. Um, it could be another Stepan situation for mm-hmm. you guys. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I do know that O2K doesn't have a lot of big names with them. Right. So... The players they do have, they're trying to really push. So, yeah, because you know Eddie and I talked about this too on some of the other podcasts uh, when we were talking about line discussions and whatnot. You know, because we see DSP on on the fourth line a lot, but then last year in the playoffs, he was on the first line with the Twins, um, pairing Getzloff, and you know he led the team with five goals in the playoffs. So that's why I think some of us are, uh, you know, it's glad you give us the insight because some of us out here are like, well, you know, he made a pretty good jump in the playoffs. So I think a lot of us are expecting him to have a bigger role in Anaheim next year. The thing that a lot of people forget is when you pull someone up in a situation like that, right? there is so much adrenaline True. that you're, you're just, you're go, 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 go. And you got to wait. Once that adrenaline comes down, then you find out where things actually fit. We have the same situation with Chris Kreider, where a lot of fans are like, oh, man, Kreider, he's he's the best. He's a beast. It's like he came in at the playoffs after graduating at Boston College and coming in after winning that championship. Now I'm like, you guys have to understand how much adrenaline. Because right. he came back the next year and the beginning of the season, it was like, you're going to the AHL, buddy. You're not even making the team. Right. So, and that's that's kind of where Smith Pelly is. And ironic as it sounds, um, Smith Pelly and Edom work very well together. Right. Like they they it's they have this kind of how who do I compare them to? Sidney Crosby and um, 
Evgeny Malkin. They don't play on the same line, but you if one of them isn't playing or if one of them's injured, the other one struggles. Gotcha. Have you ever noticed that correlation? Yeah, I mean, that you know, now that you mention it, yeah, I, we have seen that a few times. It's the same thing with, <clears throat> with Emerson Edom and Devontae Smith-Pelly. They have that, they feed off of each other, even though they're on different lines, because we have it in Norfolk too. They just, they push each other, and they, that's where, that's why when one gets pulled up, Right, right. They don't perform at the same level they do in the other team. Like they need to go together. So whatever they do, they've got to jump together. Even if you play them different lines, they they just they're they're linked in that way. And there's actually a story out there about how they met playing in a hockey camp, mm-hmm. and then they stayed friends, long distance hockey friends through that. So they, I mean, they've known each other since they were kids. Like little, I mean, they're kids now, but since they were little kids, so they there's something to their dynamic in that respect that they they play their best hockey individually when they are around each other as a as a cohesive unit. I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah, I, I think yeah, they're yeah. they're just um, held up on um, term and up. and then how much money for yeah. that term because he's only recent seasons he's only been here for uh, like a small sample size i think it's like 25 games or 30 games that he's he's played over the last few seasons and then he he came in he he did uh he he did pot five goals for us but yeah that's the only points he actually managed to put up so it's it's probably the hardest guy to bring a contract for with with the guys that we've signed and uh i I think they're looking at the silverberg contract and and they're trying to decide what value to give DSP and and how much uh, he's worth to the team right now in his career. Well, and I'm looking at it now. His qualifying offer is seven hundred and twenty-four thousand five, um, because his even though his cap hit was higher, he had bonuses. So his base salary on his last contract was only six hundred ninety thousand. So that could be an issue too if they're looking at you know qualifying offers it's less than what his cap hit was last year. So I would imagine they would end up putting some sort of bonus on that, but you never know. But as far as term, uh, if they do anything more than like two or three years, that's a scary thought for you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they need to kind of do a bridge contract. I know that's one thing that the Rangers are, are notorious for doing is bridge contracts. Um, don't sign anybody long-term until you know what they're going to do. But we've gotten burned on that long-term contract thing too. I mean, we just had Brad Richards, so. But that's. Oh, oh, go ahead. Do you have more? No, go ahead. No, I just uh, you know going with that. What about uh, Gibson too? uh, Long-term. I know we talked about him coming up, and then we got LaBarbera. So there's some discussion about how he fits in because a lot of people are leaning towards uh, Anderson being the starter. Um. In the grand scheme of things, I love Freddie Anderson to death. I mean, we've watched him in Norfolk, and it's funny because last year when John Gibson came in, people were upset that he was playing so many games. I'm like, you guys don't understand. John Gibson is a beast. That kid is a monster. You see where Ben Bishop is now. John Gibson is one year behind Ben Bishop. Um, they, I mean, they battled against each other in USA hockey, being a year apart. John Gibson is a very special case. I have never been a fan of leaving school in order to pursue sports. Right, right. John Gibson gave up his last two years to go play in the OHL. 
And I honestly think that that was the smartest thing he could have done for his career at, at the time. I mean, even now, it, looking at it, it's, it's been two years later. And because this kid is on such a learning curve, those two years in the OHL, he destroyed his competition. If, and if anybody Googles or YouTubes John Gibson, there is a really good highlight video of him from World Junior. Oh, yeah, I remember that season. Oh, yeah. oh my God. It, you're just like, you're watching that going, I need to go somewhere now. <laughs> this is, I mean, it's just, the kid is a, he's an absolute beast. He's a monster. He's not the most athletic goalie out there, but he knows how to cut the angles. He knows how to position himself, and he knows how to keep his his crease clear. Um, but, I mean, the kid is just, he's, it's like, oh, my gosh. You see him when he gets in goal, and he's standing way above the crossbar, and you're just like, oh, my gosh. And he manages to cram himself when he's hugging the post. And I know you guys have seen it a little bit with him out there last year. He's he's he reacts so quickly like i know a big thing for you guys is the uh, mighty ducks movies from when we were all kids right and right. there's they bring in the girl the cat is it was her name daphne i think so and you know they just she puts on a clinic for the kids and they're just like whoa yeah <laughs> that's john gibson he puts on a clinic he runs a clinic every time he's out there and when his defense is not playing the way they're supposed to, he lets them know. If someone on the other team is crowding his crease, he lets them know. I mean, he will face wash them. He will just physically move them out of his space. He's a big kid. But I think the thing, with all of that being said and how great, I think to move him up to the NHL now would be too much too, much too fast. He's not had a complete AHL season yet. Last year was pretty close. Um, that was his rookie AHL season. So, and there's a, there's a jump between OHL and AHL. And I initially, at the beginning of last season, I said he's going to need a year and a half to two years in the AHL before he's ready to make the jump. So he's going to need to be AHL at least half the season next year because he – there are certain things he still struggles with. Um, you can tell with and it's with the AHL, there's more weekend games than weekday games. So last year, there were a lot of Friday, Saturday, Sunday games, like literally three nights in a row. And he struggles with games that are close together. Not that he would play all three games, but you could bet he would play two out of three. Right. That second game, he still struggled a lot with it. So he's got to build that endurance part of his game up. Um, he also still struggles a lot. He's one that if it's a bad loss, he kind of, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but he will kind of avoid the fans because he's he's beating himself up over it, right. which happens a lot with goalies because they feel like it's their fault. So he still has to work on that aspect of his game. And I know he works... In the offseason, he works with Sudsy, who is a very well-known goal coach. He was Kevin Weeks' goal coach when he was playing. Who Kevin Weeks, now the uh, Hockey Night in Canada guy, you know, he's doing all that kind of broadcasting stuff. 
Weeks was an, an amazing goalie um, before, unfortunately, injury kind of ended his career. Um, Freddie Anderson also works with Sudsy, and Sudsy is a, he's from, I think, either Barbados or Trinidad Tobago, somewhere down that area where Sudsy teaches good goaltending, but he also teaches you how to be uh, mentally strong. So I think that's a good thing for John Gibson and, you know, give him another year, year and a half. Well, no, at this point, he's probably half a season to a whole season more of AHL before he's ready. Well, yeah, so I mean, I, really think, make the jump. I think you hit on a good point, too, because, you know, a lot of us forget it's also the mental aspect, too, not just the physical. Um, and we've seen, you know, some more younger guys jump up, too. Uh, just kind of curious your thoughts on Votnin and Lindholm as far as like the Ducks defense. I get a lot of fans asking us, you know, how are these guys going to do? Do we have enough at the blue line to, you know, go deep? And just kind of your perspective on them. Uh, I mean, Sammy Votnin, who doesn't love him? He's yes. a big favorite down here. Um, and it's ironic. I was at the game last year where he hurt his knee and nobody was talking about it. Nobody wanted to say anything. And I saw the hit. And a couple of the other people I knew in the arena, they're like, oh, I missed it. Someone was standing in front of me or whatever. I saw the hit. And that's why I immediately tweeted. I was like, Votnin down looks bad. Knee. I remember that. Left knee. And people were just blowing me up on it. They were like, what's, what's, I was like, it was a dirty hit. They didn't call it. I mean, he just got drilled into the board and it was, it was ugly. And so, you know, people were asking and, and I was talking to some of the other people that I know that are affiliated with the Ducks directly. And I was like, it's bad. And it's, he's going to be back out there to you guys to see doctors. Cause it's not good. Got some messages back. Like, how did you know? I'm like, I saw the hit. It was not a good hit. And so it was right after, I think it was right after the Olympics too. He had just come back, which we all thought it was kind of weird that he came back down, but we weren't complaining because we got to see him play again. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he's, that kid, he's Finnish. And Finland, Finland and Sweden are two of the, probably the, the most, I don't know the right, the right way to say it, but when it comes to European hockey, they're the fiercest competitors, but they also start instilling things from a young age, teamwork aspect and working on group work and individual game. And so there's a lot of build that comes from that part of the world. And that's one of the things that Sammy Votnin has learned. I mean, look at what Timu is doing. I mean, yeah, that's going to bring it up. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just part of Team Finland. I mean, look at Tuka Rask in Boston. He's Finnish. Um, there's just a certain way that they're brought up with hockey and not just with hockey, with all aspects of life of, you know, all are really put everything into it, but making sure that you're putting the right things into it. So from that aspect, just because of how he's been raised, Sammy Votnin's always going to put everything into it. As far as skill, defensemen typically develop later. I mean, your forwards usually hit their mark early followed by defensemen, and then goalies take the longest. Um, and that's just generalization, not everybody. So I think with Sammy, he's going to be fine. He's going to be good. He's going he's gonna to make a good, solid part of your power play. I mean, he's he's good power play defenseman. Um, he's good at even strength. He, he's just going to be a solid defenseman. Um, and I mean, your other guys that have come up they're they're going to do well as well. Now, one of the shockers that came last year for, for us in Norfolk was the Alex Grant trade. Um, 
he it was a shock that he left and then Peterson came in Um, because Alex Grant was another I mean he for the first quarter to half of the season he led the team in points and in goals so he would have been a big one now he's with the Senators so that's going to be interesting to see him come up Um, another trade that happened last year was the Peter Holland trade with Toronto where Peter Holland and Brad Stalbitz went to Toronto and Jesse Blacker, who is a defenseman came in with a draft. I can't remember if it was one or two draft picks. Jesse Blacker is, I can't wait for you guys to see him. He's going to (laughs) need, he's going to need another year, maybe two. Uh I struggled to say two, probably another year before you guys get him up there. And this kid is an offensive defenseman, with puck handling skills that will rival some of your forwards. Wow. I mean, he's wow. That that's all <laughs> I can say. I mean, it's just like I go and I'm like, all right, where's where's Jesse Black? There he is. Okay, I'm good. It's like I, there's certain I watch everybody, but there's certain things I want to see how certain players are progressing. Right. And whew, Jesse Black or this kid, I, I will definitely say that Anaheim won that trade hands down. Because, I mean, what did Peter Holland do for Toronto? Not very much. <laughs> yeah, he was brought in sparingly. You know, I mean, Eddie can probably talk about more on the uh, Toronto side there. Yeah, I, mean, I, I saw Jesse Blacker play a couple games with the Marlies. Um, I don't think, I, from a lot of Toronto fans that I've talked to about Jesse Blacker, they, they didn't rate him that, like, very highly in the Toronto organization, but they kind of look over some of the players like that, and the Marlies aren't. They don't get a huge crowd every night, and in Toronto, you would expect the Marlies to, or to at least try attract some attention. But yeah, he was definitely overlooked, and uh, I I didn't know much about him, but it it's good to hear that um, he's he's progressing well because I I didn't uh, I kind of uh, rated that trade you know fifty fifty even though Peter Holland hadn't hasn't done much in Toronto, but it, it's yeah it's interesting to hear that he's he's progressing so well. The, the biggest thing that Jesse Blacker needed to have was, I think in Toronto, they couldn't determine whether he was going to be an offensive defenseman or a stay-home defenseman. And they kind of tried to make him do both. Um, he is, is very clearly an offensive defenseman. He, he pinches, he joins the rush, and he is most effective with a stay-home defenseman-type pairing. Um, that's something that he got down here in Norfolk and that you could really see from when he got here through to the end of the season, he really stepped up his game because he had the ability to do so. He was partnered with Garnet Exelby, who was the captain of the team last year. He's a journeyman. He'll probably never reach the NHL. And actually, from what I heard, he signed a contract in Europe this summer because the, uh, the Ducks and the Admirals didn't re-sign him, which was really shocking to me because even though he's a journeyman, He's a vet presence on the team, and he just helps lead and and grow defensemen. And that was a, from the outside perspective, I don't know because I'm not in the room, but that seemed to be a big thing for Jesse Blacker's development, um, was pairing them together. So it it really showcased how much of an offensive defenseman Jesse Blacker is. And I'll tell you what, he's got one hell of a shot from the point. So look out because he could be another addition to a power play unit. Um, Cause he, I mean, he just winds up and he drills it and 
he doesn't get it in the goal, but he puts it right there in front for someone to bounce it right in. Yeah, you know, and that's what uh, some of the fans had talked about, too, is saying, hey, we need to get another Pronger, Niedermeyer type, someone that's got a, a shot from the blue line. Um, so it's good to hear that maybe he'll make that jump, you know, um, obviously not this year, but maybe in the years to come. Yeah, he's also, you can actually hear him on the ice directing his team and talking and communicating with his team. He's like, move up, move over, move over. I'm here. And, and it's not just like tapping a stick on the ice or hitting the ice or anything. You can hear him vocally, like talking to the team out there. And it's great to hear stuff like that happen. You know, let's just um, shift gears here at the end. Danny, wind up with uh, your team, the Rangers. Um, anything, uh, your thoughts? You know, I know that they, uh, you got to be disappointed they lost. And I mean, some of us out here are too. Um, what are your thoughts? I know they re-signed a lot of the team. How do they uh, look going next year? Well, we're we're in the same position with one of our defensemen that you guys are in with, Devontae Smith-Pelly, um, John Moore. He's restricted free agent who is not signed yet. And so we're trying to – we're all kind of wondering what's going to happen with him because he's another low-cap hit. I mean, he might hit a million dollars this year, maybe somewhere between a million and a million point two. I think would be adequate and appropriate for him. Um, so we're we're still waiting to see on that. Of course, you know we've got Hank Henrik Lundqvist. He's coming back. Most of our team is returning. Um, I think the only guys we let go were Dan Carcillo, which for me there's no love lost there. Um, <laughs> I, I hated the trade to acquire him in the first place, but I know a lot of people liked him. Um, uh, Rafael Diaz, he's gone, which I never understood why we traded for him anyway. He never, I mean, he was a young defenseman who was supposed to be something and he never had a chance to play here. And Justin Falk, that was such a weird trade. We, we traded Justin Falk. We trust, we traded the wild for Justin Falk. And then we sent, uh, Ben, Ferriero and a draft pick to get Justin Falk from the wild. And then the wild traded Ferriero up to um, the Canucks and they kept the draft pick and we let Falk go at the end of this year. And now he's re-signed with the wild. <laughs> so basically we just gave them a draft pick, <laughs> but whatever it's, it's weird following, but um, I think now the biggest thing we have to think about for the Rangers is um, we traded our captain last year. Right. So we've got to figure out who our new captain is going to be. And there's a lot of people who have their opinions. And I think there's some things that people are forgetting with picking a captain. It's not just picking the guy that everybody likes the best on the ice. Exactly. You've got to pick the guy who's going to lead the team, not just by playing, but vocally the guy in the room who brings everybody together who solves the problems and and just builds that team atmosphere and I think that's the the aspect that a lot of people are overlooking now now I will say if you guys want to take Rick Nash back up to Canada with you I'd be okay with that because he drives me up the walls it's like oh if his contract wasn't and here's the thing that most people forget about Rick Nash is last season when Henrik Lundqvist was only making like $6 million a year, 
Rick Nash was making more money than Hank. Hmm. So making so much more money and people like, oh, he had a concussion last year. That's why he didn't do it. It's like, okay, yes, he had a concussion. Those (laughs) things happen when you're a player. But you know what? His first season with the Rangers was the lockout shortened season. He could not score a goal before the third period of any given game ever. Ever. I mean, it was like, okay, third period, Rick Nash, score your goal now. And then there it would be. So, and one of my biggest complaints was if he can start, and my gosh, he's six foot four and 220 ish. And he plays like he's 5'11 and 180 pounds soaking wet. (laughs) I mean, he just will not engage in any physical aspect of the game at all. He, it's like he avoids collision at all cost, and that's very frustrating. I mean, it, it's just, oh, it, it really is. It's like you're such a big guy. Put a lay a body check on someone and take the puck. We know you can handle it. And then he had his stupid spinning backwards thing that he did every time he went to the goal, and it was like, okay, this works the first couple times you do it. It doesn't work all season. So some people say I'm unfairly harsh on him, but. He's making almost eight million. He's seven point eight million dollars a year, and we've got him for a few more years. And yeah, he scored twenty goals last season, but we're paying you to score a lot more than that. Yeah, and he's he's kind of a power forward who doesn't play like a power forward. He kind of <laughs> plays like, like you said, like a smaller kind of I don't know stick handling, puck handling, deking kind of guy. Like you can do that as a big guy, but you know he's got to get he's got to kind of get into the more physical areas got to be he should be in front of the net he sh- you know he should be uh, crashing uh, for checking crashing the boards more you don't really see that from him as, as much as you did in, in Columbus it's kind of like he he kind of uh, slacked off uh, after he moved over to the Rangers but yeah if if you guys are going to uh, go anyway he's going to be the guy who needs to be getting most of the goals for sure yeah i mean and that's where it's like he's a top 6 forward who plays like a third liner Sometimes, most of the time, I mean, our third line last year outscored our top six. I mean, our, yeah, our top six combined didn't even produce as much as our three guys on the third line. So that's a major concern, and, and we're trying to figure out now how the lines are going to come together. Um, we also traded away Derek Dorsett to Vancouver, which made me very sad because I like Derek Dorsett a lot. But it's hockey. Um, so now we have Tanner Glass to fill that spot, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, I hated Tanner Glass before because I, I liked rooting for him when my team wasn't playing against the Penguins. Now that he's not a Penguin anymore, oh my gosh! This, and I, I was excited. I saw that we signed him. I went, "What? Oh, oh, this is going to be good because Tanner Glass, he is a power forward who plays like a power forward, even though he doesn't have." as much of the puck handling skills, he's a hard hitter. <laughs> I mean, it, and everybody around the league, I think pretty much in agreement that if you get hit by Tanner Glass, you know you've been hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of exciting because we haven't had that, a player like that in a while. I mean, we had Ryan Clough a couple years ago, um, who's now, uh, he plays for the Devils now on a ridiculous contract since they didn't resign Clarkson. They threw like five years over $5 million at Ryan Clough. And it's like, Ooh, 
no, you guys can have him for that. Um, but the, I think the biggest loss in the off season for me, like the, the one that hit me the hardest was Brian Boyle, mm-hmm. who a lot of people are like, Oh, he's such a pansy. He's so big. He doesn't hit, you know, it's like, okay, he's not, he knowing that he didn't play like a hard hitter when he was at Boston college, he is a different type of player altogether. And his biggest, his biggest pros or his biggest positives are playoffs. He takes it to a whole nother level in the playoffs. And I don't think anybody can beat him in the face-off circle. He is just a monster. So Tampa Bay has him now and then it's going to be, Oh, it's going to be tough winning face-offs against him because he just, I mean, he's six foot seven and 230 pounds. You're not moving that out of the way to get the puck. Sorry. <laughs> so, that one, that one kind of stung a lot, especially because his contract that he signed down there wasn't all that outrageous. I mean, two, I think it's two million dollars a year for the next three years. That's that's cheap. That's that's doable for a good solid third to fourth line center. Plus, he was our top power play unit, so I don't know how we're going to fill that role either. At this point, um, we've got a we've got a lot of questions that we're waiting for camp and preseason to see how it goes. But I know that we're all, all Ranger fans are really excited that we're not taking our first nine games of the regular season on the road. Yeah. yeah. Was... And speaking about next uh, season, what do you think, Danny, as far as the Rangers getting back uh, uh, to the Stanley Cup finals? You know, that's one of those things where I, I never – Never try to predict because, I mean, if you look at the beginning of last season for the Rangers, I mean, we got totally destroyed everywhere we went. People were like, Stanley Cup Finals? How about you're not even making the playoffs? Because for a while (laughs) there, we were were just like, oh, my gosh, is this going to be a total rebuild from, from nowhere? I mean, it was just such a big, it was tough. But, you know, the diehard fans, we were just like, well, you know, if we've got to lose these games in the beginning in order to do better later, then it's going to be tough, but we're going to do it. <laughs> and, I mean, we, we made it through. Right right before the holiday break, we started picking up some wins, and then it just rolled from there. So, you know, and it's, it's always tough, too, because it's like, well, you know, San Jose is going to finish up towards the top, but look at them. Every year they get kind of bumped. Yep, so yep. it's always it's always tough. It's it's always a tough thing. So we just have to see how the new guys coming in are going to do. Um, I mean, bringing Dan Boyle in, that was a big surprise for us. I mean, I know when I saw it, I was like, wait, what? What? Did we really? I didn't even realize Dan Boyle was going on the market. So... That, that was a real big surprise. We'll have to see how that works out because I know that he and Marty San Louis played together in Tampa Bay with the when they won the cup. Right, right. So, and with Brad Richards being gone, I mean, there's some liabilities there that we know we're not going to have anymore. I know that sounds a little ugly to say, but um, where it's Brad Richards was a very difficult player to have on our team. But I wish him all the best in <laughs> Chicago. Um, it's just, it was frustrating because 
on the Brad Richards side of things, I think what a lot of people outside of the Rangers fan base don't realize is Richie is a, a really strong, really great guy in the room. Um, he is a leader of, of teams. He is really great at getting people together. Um, the problem with Richie, though, he it's like how many turnovers did he have in the playoffs in against L.A., the final, that led to L.A. goals? That's really frustrating for us as Ranger fans because it's like, oh, turnover, Richie, oh, there's a goal for the L.A. Kings. Oh, boy. So it, that was frustrating for us um, and just – so it was a really difficult back and forth with Richie. Um, but unfortunately, at the end, anybody who knows anything about contracts in the CBA knows that he had to be bought out. Um, the length of his contract and his age now, if he got injured or if something happened, his cap hit would prevent us from signing so many people because it, it just it would just be a nightmare. So unfortunately not like a Michael Sauer situation with the Anfanuf where we could kind of bury his, his cap hit. Um, Richie's would, would sting. <laughs> or if he retired early, that was the biggest one is if he retired before the contract went out, that would really stink. So. Well, Danny, um, thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, wish the Rangers best of luck next year. You know, I'll, I'll be talking to you, obviously, um, on the Norfolk side to get all the stuff that you get that uh, we don't. And uh, just thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, don't forget, fans, we're still giving away two tickets to the home opener. Uh, we're given there's a phrase that we're going to have out there for you to uh, get a chance to win. And the word for this week is season. So that's the word you're looking for, season. And if you listen to last uh, week's podcast, you heard the word there. So you got two words now. We'll have a couple more. And um, hopefully you somebody out there wins and uh, goes to opening night. The Anaheim Ducks are the Stanley Cup champions.